as Kyle mentioned, um, one of the coolest things about a trip like that is getting to see how God works in and through them, but specifically in relationship, how he builds relationship with between the team members and also between the team members and the church there. Um, families and students from ZPC have built really cool friendships with the congregation at Nueva Jerusalem, been traveling down there for years, and they've discovered that their family is much larger than this church, um, but that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. And some of the students even continue to text or Facebook um, with their newfound brothers and sisters in Christ down in Mexico because they love talking to them. They love sharing with them. And they share news. Um, they share prayer requests. I, I know somebody got hurt recently and sent a really gruesome picture of his gash in his leg um, down to his brothers and sisters in Christ in Mexico. I don't know if that was for effect or for prayer, but he was sharing news um, about what was going on in his life because he'd built such a strong relationship um, with the people down there. That's so such a privilege as a part of traveling on a mission trip. And those of you who've gotten the opportunity to do that know that when you go to a cross-cultural um, context and get to worship, you see how much bigger God is. And you also see how much bigger your church is. And that changes how we relate to people. It has changed how those students relate to um, people in Mexico. Um, and relationships change because we realize how big our family is. I have a friend named Lindsay who discovered this in a profound way a few years ago. Lindsay is adopted, and when she was old enough and felt like she was ready, she decided that she would discover a little bit more about her birth family. And what she found out is that she had family that lived only 20 minutes away. And uh, three half-brothers in elementary school and middle school who she very well could have run into in the grocery store or at the ballpark and thought nothing about. But once she discovered that they were a part of her family, that totally changed how she related with them. She began to spend time with them, pursuing relationship with them, getting to know them, um, even inviting them to church. And it changed because she discovered that they were a part of her family. We've been talking all summer long about how we, here at ZPC, are a community, that we're in this together, that truly we are a part of one another's family, that because as believers in Christ, we call God our Father and Christ our brother, we can call each other brother and sister, that our family is larger than who we call mom and dad. And that needs to be changing how we relate to each other here. And we've used the early church as our example of that. And as we've looked at the book of Acts, we've seen how the Holy Spirit has grown the believers into a large community that ate together and prayed together and learned together and sang together. And um, we're going to continue that study in Acts this morning. So I invite you to turn in your own copy of Scripture or the Pew Bibles in front of you to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. So Acts chapter 4, verse 23. As you turn there, I'll give you a little bit of context as a reminder. We find in chapter 4 that the church has experienced its first crisis. After an amazing miracle in which God used Peter to heal a lame man and then got to preach to a really spiritually hungry crowd and have 2,000 men respond to the gospel, um, they are arrested and they're thrown in jail overnight. 
and then they're questioned in the morning by the Jewish leaders. Ultimately, they are threatened and then released. And that's where we pick up the story. If you would read with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city and conspired against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Please pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of this early church community, our brothers and sisters in Christ from history. God, may your spirit give me the words to say and teach each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I already shared a bit of the context of this passage, but I want us to review a little bit and try to really imagine what this string of events might have felt like to Peter and John. Because seriously, what a day. It's three o'clock. They're just going through routine. They head to the temple, to their church service, as they do every day. But prompted by the Spirit, Peter calls a man who's been laying on the ground, I think his whole life, a 40-year-old man, calls him to stand to his feet in the name of Jesus, and he's healed. And that causes a stir. And so he gets to preach the gospel to a huge crowd, and 2,000 men respond. So the church community has grown to 5,000 people. What must that have felt like to be Peter and John, to have the boldness to call someone who was lame to stand, and to see God moving in such a powerful way? I'm sure they were in awe. I'm sure they were excited, elated even. They were probably humbled that God would choose to use them. This was a really exciting mountaintop spiritual emotional experience, I'm sure, for Peter and John. But then quickly, they're confronted by the Jewish leaders, and they might have plummeted into fear and questions and wondering, what is God doing? As they're arrested by the Sanhedrin, by the very people who just months earlier had arrested and killed Jesus. These were powerful men. I'm sure there was fear for Peter and John. And as they spent that night in prison, I am sure it was not a restful night. I don't know anything about prison conditions now, <laughs> praise God. Um, or much about prison conditions then. But we can imagine it was dark, it was smelly, they probably didn't get to eat dinner, and they certainly didn't have a comfortable bed to sleep on, maybe no bed at all. The guards were probably not kind or accommodating. This was not a friendly environment. And their emotions through the night probably varied a lot through, I'm gonna be calm and trust God, to 
oh my gosh, what is going to happen to us in the morning? And I'm sure they encouraged each other and prayed together and questioned and worried together. Maybe they tried to sleep a little bit, but I'm sure come morning, Peter and John are tired and they're, they're curious and worried about what's going to happen to them. And then they're thrown in front of this super intimidating committee, and I'm sure they're afraid to talk to them. I'm sure they're afraid of the physical, um, spiritual, emotional harm that these leaders can have, the impact they can have in their life. But the Holy Spirit fills Peter again. And I'm sure that was always awesome when God chose to do that to Peter, and he starts talking. And I have to wonder if as Peter's talking to the leaders, if he's kind of thinking in his head, really, you want me to say that, God? Because that's pretty gutsy. Um, But he's bold enough, empowered by the Holy Spirit to respond to these leaders. And then they're threatened. And we don't know exactly what threats are made. We, We know that they're told not to speak at all in the name of Jesus, and that is not an option for Peter and John. And they're threatened, probably their physical safety, maybe the physical safety of um, their church community or their family is threatened. Um, Not a fun piece of news to hear from some powerful people. So I'm sure, again, there was some fear for Peter and John. And then they're released, which I'm sure brought a huge wave of relief over Peter and John. So this is a lot of different emotions, excitement, to fear, to worry, to relief. I'm sure that they are tired. If I'm Peter and John, I am physically, spiritually, and mentally exhausted at this point in the day. And it's just in the morning. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to hug my family. I'm going to get something to eat, probably involving some chocolate because I'm stressed out. I'm going to curl up in my bed for a really long nap. That is what I would do because I tend to prioritize comfort and convenience But we see here that is not Peter and John's priority, that their priority is community because the first thing they do is go back to the church. We read in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They went back to their own people. I think that's such an interesting phrase It carries a sense of community and belonging and even family. We don't know exactly who this group included. They were likely were gathered in a house. So we know that it doesn't include the whole church that's grown to 5,000 people. It's not the whole church in Jerusalem, but it's a part of the church. Gathered in a house, they'd probably spent much of the night praying for Peter and John. We could consider this Peter and John's small group of sorts. That these are the people within the church community that they were closest to, that knew them best, that loved them most, um, and that were praying for them intimately. Peter and John couldn't be in deep community with all of the believers in Jerusalem, and we can't be in close relationship with our whole church family either around the world, or even within this congregation. In a a church this size, we can't know everyone deeply and intimately. We need to need to have a small group, our own people of sorts, some people that know us really well and can support us and can teach us and can prod us when we need to because they know us and they love us. We each need our own people. It's within the context of community that often we learn the most because we're safe and because we see life lived out day to day from others that love Jesus. 
Throughout my life, my church community and my small group has changed as I've grown, but each one has taught me something. Our focus this morning is prayer, and much of what I've learned about prayer is from my church community. Growing up, I remember a Sunday school teacher who told me that I could talk to God anytime, anywhere, and she even said that I could talk to God when I was sitting on the toilet. And that really stuck with me. I thought that was very cool. Um, I remember I took a mission trip in high school as a junior in high school, much like the group that just returned. And on that mission trip, we partnered with a church. That church, 365 days a year, met at 5 a.m. Not every member, but parts of their congregation met at 5 a.m. every morning to pray because they knew that they needed God to be changing people's hearts and minds in their city. Every morning, 5 a.m., in the dark, as a high schooler, we all got up to pray with that church. We didn't really want to. I don't think ever wanted to when the alarms went off. But I learned about prayer as a discipline on that trip. That we don't always want to pray, but we're called to be people of prayer. I've learned about prayer from my family, who prays for me regularly. From Christian leaders now and in the past through books learned about prayer through my own experience and through scripture. Recently, I've even learned about prayer from my 18-month-old son, Judah. Judah goes to Noah's Ark daycare down the hall, and they eat a lot as an 18-month-old, and each time at Noah's Ark, when they gather the kids to eat, they pray. And so at home, every time I put Judah in his high chair, he folds his little chubby hands together and he looks at me because he's expecting to pray. But Judah doesn't pray just once during a meal like you and I would. Um, Every time I bring him something new or every time somebody new sits down at the table, he folds his hands and looks at me. (laughs) And so we thank God together for green beans or pineapple or whatever he's eating. Um, And while Judah doesn't really know what he's doing, he's taught me that I have a lot to thank God for all the time. And I can always be turning to God in prayer. Community teaches us in that safety and in that daily routine. And I believe that this morning, the community of the early church has something to teach us about prayer. In verse 24, the group, this small group, has just heard about Peter and John being threatened. And we read, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Their first response to hearing this news was to turn to God in prayer. They didn't try to strategize maybe how they'd overthrow the Jewish leaders with their force of 5,000 men. They didn't try to come up with a way to petition the Roman government for religious freedom. They didn't even brainstorm like a bunch of houses that they could go to to hide in should they be chased. They didn't do any of that. They didn't plan. They didn't brainstorm. They prayed. That was their first response. That was their only response. Maybe as individuals, again, we don't know who's in this group. Maybe there were some politicians, maybe some soldiers, maybe some very strategic-minded type A people. And maybe on their own, those people would have chosen to plan and to brainstorm. But as a community, they were able to remind each other that their first response needed to be to take the issue to God. Their first response, and that was the only response they needed, was to pray. 
was to turn to God. I have a friend on staff here at ZPC that's taught me a lot about going to God immediately in prayer. She hears of needs or concerns from me or from others, maybe from some of you, even over the phone, and her quick response is usually to ask, can I pray with you about that? Now, there's something really cool when we say to each other, oh, I'll pray for you. Um, That's always really nice to hear other Christians say, but it's really neat when somebody actually says, right now, let me pray for you. And you get to hear their words and that encouragement and that strength that comes from praying with somebody, from someone in your community going with you to the throne room of God. Sometimes when my friend asks me that, or I imagine when she asks maybe some of you that, I might feel a little awkward or I might be like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I don't really need to pray about it. But what my friend reminds me of is that God always wants us to pray, whether it's a big thing or a small thing. Nothing is too small to bring to God and to bring to God immediately and throughout the day. And so my friend has helped me with that. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, Moses is talking to the Israelites, and he says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? God is near us when we pray to him. That that sets us apart as a people who can cry out to God and know that he hears. And he doesn't just hear, he responds by coming near to us. Just like a parent responds when their kid cries and they go and to find out what it is they're crying about. God responds when we cry out to him. And he wants us to cry out to him. Big things, small things, because he loves us. He wants to us to call out to him immediately in prayer. The second lesson I believe the early church believers teach us about prayer is that we're to pray recognizing who God is. So we're to pray immediately and we're to pray remembering who it is that we're talking to. In verse 24, when this group addresses God, they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and everything in them. This isn't a matter of fancy words, because God isn't interested in fancy words. But in these words, the group recognizes who they're praying to. When we remember who God is, it places our trouble in proper perspective. So what was huge in our minds, what was insurmountable, something we couldn't handle, becomes right-sized when we place it in God's hands. It reminds us that we love, he loves us, that he's in control, that he will not give us more than we can handle with his strength. And scripture confirms this. And when we remember the truth about God's character, it changes how we pray. The community in Acts 4 reminds us of the truths of God's character as they quote Psalm 2. They're remembering that long ago, God had predicted that his chosen one, his anointed one, his son, would suffer at the hands of the leaders. And that is exactly what happened. God knew what was going on then, and he knows what's going on now. He not only knows, he is sovereign and in control over it. In verse 28, we see this group recognize that. We read, they, meaning the church leaders, 
They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. None of what happened to Jesus was a surprise to God. It was within his plan. None of what happens in your life is a surprise. He knows. He cares. He is in control. We don't always know why God allows things or causes things in our life. We certainly don't always understand the timing. But that is also when we can turn to our community to help us. When we have times of doubting God's character, if we have a community surrounding us, that community can help us remember who God is. They can remind us of the truths from scripture, of God's character. They can love us through our questions. They can lift us up in prayer. Our community, our family can help us remember who God is when we forget or when we begin to question who he is. Prayer is essential, but only when we recognize who it is that we're talking to, that we're talking to the sovereign Lord of the universe that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything else. Peter, John, and their small group knew that through prayer, they were taking this problem to the one who was in control. Now, I don't think this group of believers was surprised by the threats that they received. They knew through history, even through the psalm that they quoted, that the prophets um, had experienced hardship and persecution because of their belief in God. And Jesus himself had told them that, that they would have trouble. He'd even told Peter that when he was old, he would stretch out his hands and someone would take him where he didn't want to go. The disciples had seen these religious leaders who threatened Peter and John have Jesus killed. And I don't think any of them, um, well, I think they all thought that that was a possibility in their life as well. That for their obedience and for choosing to follow Jesus, they could very well be killed. They didn't expect to have it easy. And I think that explains a little bit of the next portion of this prayer. Because we read in verse 29, Something that really surprises me. They pray, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This blows me away because I can think of a lot of other ways that I would finish that sentence. Now Lord, consider their threats and guide us, protect us, change their minds. Um, A lot of other ways that I would finish that sentence But instead of asking God to change the situation, this group prays for God to change them, to give them the boldness they need to deal with the situation. As I considered this and prayed over this the last several weeks, it really confused me because we see throughout scripture people asking God to change situations and we see God responding. God changes situations in some really powerful ways. So why do they not choose to ask him for that? It's reasonable for us to expect that the church prayed a lot that night, more than the words that are recorded. So maybe they did ask God to do that, but that's not what the Holy Spirit had preserved in scripture for us. We see in this passage that God asked the or that the believers ask God to change them, not the situation. And it caused me to think about my life. That a lot of times, I might say it's the situation that keeps me from doing something, but most often it's me. When I think of the list of things I know I should do, like 
read the Bible more, pray more, talk to my neighbors about Jesus, be an intentional community with other believers. All these things we talk about here at church that we know we should do, that I don't do enough, most of the time I don't do it because of me. And I might say, well, it's because of my schedule, or it's my family situation, or it's just my neighbors, they're weirdos, so I don't talk to them. But it's not the situation. It's me. It's my discomfort, or my fear, or my laziness, or my apathy. Most often, the situation isn't the issue. It's me. And maybe the early church recognized that as they prayed together that night. As they prayed honestly together, maybe they recognized that it was fear that was holding them back the most. That if God could remove the fear in them, they could deal with whatever opposition the outside world had. If they weren't afraid, if only God would give them the courage that they needed. I believe that this group prayed honestly together. Now I'm taking a little liberty in the text because you and I read it and it doesn't say anywhere that they say to God, we're really afraid right here. But given that we know the situation and that they ask God for boldness, we can assume they're not feeling very bold. And they're recognizing together that they don't have the power and the courage that they need to stand up against these rulers and to continue to share about Jesus. They're saying in honesty together in prayer, So honesty together and honesty with God that they need him. They need his power. They need his courage in order to complete the mission that he has given them. And that is the the second, the third and final thing that this early church prayer service teaches us. We need to be praying honestly. God knows us better than we know ourselves. We know from Matthew, that God knows the number of hairs on our head, and I don't think I'm the only one in the room that doesn't know that statistic about ourselves. God knows us. He knows us well. He knows the things that we need. He doesn't need us to tell him what we need, but God also doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't force his help on us. He often only chooses to respond when we say, God, I need you. Just as we sang this morning, God, we need you. Every hour, we need you. And whether it's a big thing or a small thing, you might be tempted to think, oh, I can handle this on my own. But in reality, we are always in need of God. We are in need of his help to love people well and to make the right decision. We are in need of God all the time. And not only when we're at the end of our rope. That's often the only time I really desperately turn to God and ask for his help is when I've tried everything else on my own. Abe Lincoln actually says this in a quote. He says, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. But the truth is, friends, there's no better place to go. There's no more appropriate place to go with big things or small things than to our knees, not just when we're desperate, but all the time to pray honestly to God and to bring our concerns to him. Because again, God responds. Sometimes we have to wait for his response, but we see from this passage that the early church didn't have to wait long at all. In verse 31, we read that after the group prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
There was an earthquake in that room after this group prayed. What a cool, crazy, memorable way for God to answer their prayer. Um, that God was letting them know, I will give you the power, I will give you the strength that you need. Keep going, you can do it. And this group would need that boldness and would need that encouragement. Because if you read a little further in Acts, quickly the church experienced its first inner conflict. Um, the martyrdom of Stephen, the scattering of believers, the persecution of the church by Saul. There was a lot of opposition coming more than the threats that they were dealing with now. They were gonna need God's boldness, God's courage to continue sharing the gospel with those around him. That was their mission that God had give them, given them to, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the same mission he's given you and I as his followers today, to share the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors down the street and with those across the world, we are to share the good news with them. But we need God's boldness to do it, even today. We, and so we must come to him in prayer, in immediate dependency, trusting in his character, and confessing honestly our need for him. So today, as we close, I wonder if you'd be a little up for a little bit of an earthquake, just like the early church. We're going to shake things up a little bit. We're going to have a time of community prayer, and I'm going to ask that you get in the small groups of four to six people and spend some time praying. You might need to introduce yourselves if you don't know one another. You can share some personal prayer requests if you want. Or you can pray for some ZPC prayer requests, which Quentin mentioned earlier, whether that's praying for our new senior pastor, praying for the nominating committee, praying for health concerns, praying for the, the marriage and family health of those in, in our community, um, or other concerns that come to mind as you pray. We're only going to take about five minutes to pray. Um, so I want you to move fast and find four to six people. If you finish before that five minutes is over, please just um, sil continue silently praying, and then I'll close us all together to close the service. So let's have an earthquake. Go. Go.